you need a Bible, Darren has got a few in his hand. Just raise your hand and he'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Nehemiah chapter 11 through 13 tonight. You may be freaking out going, man, that's three chapters, but uh, a lot of names in these chapters. So, What's up? Huh? The peanut gallery over there. (laughs) All right, let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people. Lord, to be in this place that's warm. Uh, Lord, a place where, Lord, your presence is at, Lord. And we know that we can hear from you, Lord, because we're digging in your word. And we're seeking what your word says. And we know, Lord, that you're going to speak to our hearts tonight. So we ask your blessing upon this time. Lord, give us ears to hear all that you have for us tonight, Lord. Uh, Thank you for just a sweet time of worship, Lord God. And just pray your blessing upon the kids downstairs. I know some of the kids are studying lines for uh, uh, the Christmas little play they're doing, Lord. I pray you bless them as they uh, work on that, Father. And just uh, your hand be upon all that we do this evening here, we pray. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we've seen just an exciting thing cruised really through the book of Nehemiah. Radical revival took place in Jerusalem. The walls were built. The word of God was spoken. The hearts were repentful. People made a vow. They made a covenant with the Lord. Then we saw chapter 10 listed all the names of all those that put their seal on that document, put that seal of their covenant with the Lord. Oh, we're going to live for you now, Lord. And, and they said in, in verse 39 of chapter 10, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, that'll prove to be famous last words, because as we get to the end of the study, uh, we'll see they did, did indeed do just that, neglect the house of our God. And we'll see how Nehemiah handled that. But as we come to chapter 11, we see that it's time... Now that the walls and the gates of Jerusalem are restored, the people had repented. They remember last time we were together that they repented and then there was a time of rejoicing, time of repentance. Uh, Now it's time for them to move back into the city of Jerusalem, to to inhabit the city. Now how were they going to do that? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. See, now that the walls were done, you know, now that, you know, the the gates were all hung and everything was ready, now it's time to move into the city and actually live there. Now, one reason, obviously, is there needed to be people there to protect the city. You know, who knew when the enemy would come in and attack? But uh, even though it may have been safer for the people to live in the small outlying villages uh, that were no threat to the Gentile society, somebody had to take the risk. Somebody had to say, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to move. We're going to go into the city. As well as if people really love the Lord, you know, and and their holy city, they they would want to live there, even if it was only as a witness to the skeptical Gentiles around them. I mean, why would you rebuild the whole city and then not move into the city itself. But the main reason God had brought the remnant back home was because he had a special job for them to do. And to abandon the restored city would hinder the work that God wanted to do through Israel. 
In other words, God needed people, live bodies there in the holy city. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as the living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, in the same way, it's important for us to never underestimate the, the, the importance of simply being physically present in the place that God wants you to be. And to make yourself available to do the work of the ministry. You may not be asked to perform some huge ministry, but simply being there, being here, is a ministry. You know, sometimes on Sundays, I'm sure there are days for you as well where, where I mean, it's been a tough day. And they go, oh, man, what difference does it make if I go to church tonight? No, it's not a big deal. Well, maybe not in some big mega church someplace, but in our size, everybody is important. And, and the, you know, the, the sweet fellowship and the encouragement that we can give to one another, it's just a part of the ministry that goes on here at Calvary. That's why here in chapter 11, Nehemiah takes the time to recognize all those that have made the move into the city of Jerusalem to, to serve the Lord, their nation, and future generations. Look at verse 3. It says, These are the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own possession in their cities, Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, and descendants of Solomon's servants. And then he goes on to recognize everyone else and their heart to serve. Now, we've gotten used to Nehemiah, you know, the practice of Nehemiah giving us a list of names of people involved, and we've gotten used to me not pronouncing them. I'm not going to change now. <laughs> but you see, in listing these names... Nehemiah is giving evidence of his sincere appreciation he had for each individual who not only assisted in the work, but also who said, now I'm going to live. I want to move there. I want to be a part of that. And this is his way of saying thank you. And also reminds us that our father sees and records everything that his children do as they serve him. So even if, if we don't recognize or others don't recognize or appreciate you or what you do in ministry, you can be sure that God knows about it and, and he'll reward you accordingly. Now, let me break down this list of names for you without pronouncing them or going through each one. Kind of an overview. And verses 4 through 9 is a list of the people from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin who lived in Jerusalem. Now, according to 1 Kings 11 and 12, these two tribes composed the kingdom of Judah after the nation divided. Verse 6 says that they were four, there were 468 valiant men. And verse 14, they're mighty men of valor. So he's recognizing these. Then we see in verses 10 through 24 are listed the priests, the Levites, and the temple workers who are also named. Now, according to Joshua chapter 21, God has set aside special cities for them. So they could have legitimately said, you know, we're not moving in. God has told us we, we don't have to. They could have lived outside of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but they chose to be with the people as they serve God in the temple. They chose to remain with God's people, even though it might have been safer, more comfortable elsewhere. And they knew that there was a variety of people who were needed to, for the temple ministry, and that was important to the Jewish nation. So you have the, the, the priests there that officiated at the altar. You have the Levites that assisted them all living in the city. And then look at verse 16. We read, uh, Shabbatai and Jezebed, of the heads of the Levites, had the oversight of the business outside of the house of God. So they, they had to be those, you know, taking care of the outside, maybe supervising the maintenance of the building on the outside, maybe the landscape guys. I don't know. These, these guys are there working. Then in verses 17 through 22, 
We have those that ministered with prayer and praise. And both of those were just as important. As well as verse 19, they, they had appointed guards for the temple. Since the tithes and the offerings were stored in the temple, it was important that the building was protected. So what we see as we look over this list of names is that it took many people with many different skills, many gifts for the ministry to take place in Jerusalem. Everybody was important. Folks, the same thing is true for ministry in the church. When I look out from this pulpit on Sunday morning, I am so blessed. I'm blessed to see the ushers in the back, you know, you know, just there greeting people as they come in. I, I'm blessed, you know, just to, to, you know, see the ministry that takes place, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the, you know, the teachers downstairs that, you know, I can announce from the pulpit on Sunday morning, we have a prayer team. If you have a prayer need, man, you know, give you prayer. This is a ministry that's going on here. Man, we have a, a go team. Man, you want to share your faith with someone. Man, go down and, and, and we have this ministry going on there. If this was just me up here, I'd say, well, you know, we have the ministry of just teaching Sunday morning and Wednesday night. That's it. Nothing else going on. Sorry. No, because of, of, of your, your heart for the Lord. You know, man, our worship team is awesome. So I am, I am so blessed to see people in this church just loving the Lord and serving Him because they love Him so much. And it's humbling to me and it makes me want to do my best for the Lord and for those people involved in, in making all this happen. So we all work together. My point is this, though, that God uses many people with different gifts and skills to get his work done in this world. And, and as we read already, the important thing is that we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which was a reasonable service so that he can use us as tools to accomplish his work. Each person, you know, is important and each task is significant. Now, before we move into chapter 12 and see another list of names, look back at verse 23 of chapter 11. It says, For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers, a quota, day by day. Notice Nehemiah states that the king of Persia is mentioned here. He helped support the ministry at the temple. Uh, so since we know from Ezra chapters 6 and 7, the king wanted the, the Jewish people to pray for him and his family, we know that he's also here sharing in the temple expenses. He's helping out. Not a part of them, but he, he's helping out. My point is this. When it comes to our newly elected President Donald Trump, or President-elect Donald Trump, he may not know the Lord, but he has witnessed firsthand what God can do in raising him up to be our next president. And we need to be praying for this man. We need to be praying that he makes wise choices in filling his cabinet, uh, wise choices in, in, in the soon Supreme Court justice spot. And when we're told to pray for the civil leaders and for kings and all who are in authority, uh, according to 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. And I think we, you know, we, we prayed before this election a lot. We need to be continuing to pray and that, that man, the, the vice president, uh, uh, elect vice president would would be that one that can really influence him to come to know the lord but my point being is we see the king of persia helping out being involved in the ministry and, and who knows what god can do as we pray for our, our president elect well now chapter 12 another list of names and what we see here in verses 1 through 26 are names of those ministering in the temple now jump down to verse 27 how's that for going through half a chapter Verse 27 through 42, we have 
really a dedication service. So they, 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 they had the joys, they had the, the parties, they had the feast, they had the time of repentance and humbling themselves, and then they, they the time of, of coming in, and now they, they have a dedication service. Now look at verse 27 to 29. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites and all their place to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and string instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the, the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of the Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. And so they're, they're bringing in the worship team. They're going to dedicate, you know, Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem. They're bringing in the worship team. Verse 30 says, Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall towards the refuge gate. And then in verses 32 to 42, we have the rest of the worship team. Where their spot was to sing, what instruments they played. This is a huge dedication service. So much so that we re-look at verse 43 now. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The woman and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. This was huge. And this is before microphones, before loudspeakers, before anything else. And they said the joy of the Lord was, was, was heard afar off. But notice that the emphasis was on, on joyful praise on part of all the people. All the people. I mean, could you imagine a group that size and they're all singing and they're all playing and they're all worshiping the Lord God? It's no wonder it says that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. You know that singing is mentioned eight times in this chapter, thanksgiving six times, rejoicing seven times, and musical instruments three times. It just reminds me of what's going to be going on in heaven. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a, a large church where everybody is singing and sometimes the, the, they'll just start, the, the instruments will all stop and it's just a cappella for this whole choir, the whole church singing. It, it's a very, if you ever get a chance to do it, it's a very amazing uh, sensation. But then I think, of, man, when we get to heaven, we're going to get that opportunity. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, after Jesus takes the scroll, which is like the title deed to the earth, it says that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. You want to memorize that so you know the words when you get there, okay? Just awesome. Awesome. It's going to be nothing like it. The biggest worship service you'll ever see. Now look at verse 44. We read, At that same time, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings, the first fruits and the tithes, to gather to them from the fields of the cities the portion specified by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. From the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. 
in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. So, this provided for the worship team. You know, they, they you know, gave portion to the singers and, and the gatekeepers for the ushers as well, and, and just this whole ministry going on. And I wish the book ended right here, right here at the dedication. I mean, there's joy, there's, there's, there's a showering the priests and Levites with gifts, there's just great gladness. Man, it, if it ended here, it'd be great. But you know what? If it ended here, it just wouldn't be real. Because life, you know, it doesn't end on a celebration. <laughs> there's always challenges before us. I mean, you can have the most fantastic experience in the Lord and be blessed by the Lord one day, but then face this huge challenge and this huge trial the very next day. Because in this life, there's always going to be something facing us. So in chapter 13, we see Nehemiah face-to-face with a problem. Now again, remember, it was a great day. The work had been completed. God had been glorified in a wonderful way. You know, they had the, 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 the uh, sealed covenant. Everybody's signature was on it. They had this great dedication service now. People from afar could, see, could hear them singing, praising the Lord, and worshiping the Lord. I mean, Nehemiah must have gone away from that going, praise God, what an awesome day. God, you are so, so good. Oh, But for that reason, I want to go back to the verse that started all this. Verse 39 of chapter 10. You don't need to turn there. Just remember, we looked at it already. They vowed in writing. They vowed out loud. We will not neglect the house of our God. Famous last words, chapter 13, we see them breaking this vow, not keeping their word, neglecting the house of the Lord. And Nehemiah's got to come in and clean house again. And what's your word worth? What your vows, your commitment? Are you somebody that your friends can count on whose word is your bond? Now it should be, and it could be. See, we as believers, according to God's word, should be able to, through words that we use, be men and women of our, of our word. If we said, man, we're going to do this, we need to do this. In fact, Matthew 5.33, Jesus talked about that. You don't need to turn there, but he said this. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is by God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. See, God had called His Jewish people, the Jewish people, into a relationship that they might rightly, correctly represent the reputation of God. God's reputation, we know. You know, you can count on Him. What God says, He means what He means, He says. There's never been a time I know in my life where, you know, I expected the sun to rise in the morning and it didn't rise. As I walk out in the door every morning, he has provided air for me to breathe. I can count on him. So then, like the Jews, that in my life, if I'm one of God's children, then I'm supposed to do as my father does. But we don't see that today, nor do we see that back in Nehemiah's day. No, we see that those were back in the city. They were back in the city of Jerusalem. They didn't keep their vow. They didn't keep their word. So then are we the type of people that other people can count on? Are we the type of people that can keep our word? Have you ever noticed that, that people, people that, that have a problem keeping their word, they, they, they have to swear by something in order for people to really believe them? 
And they'll say, oh, you know, they'll tell you something. And they'll say, oh, no, come on. You're not going to do that. No, really, really. I swear, I swear. And they maybe swear by some religious object. You know, there, there, there's some people, every time a commitment is made, it's, I'll be there. You can count on me. Don't worry. I swear by my mother's grave. You know, I, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles as if one Bible isn't good enough. You know, I don't know. I swear, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a hundred needles in my eye. You know, don't stick nothing in your eye, okay? Just be a man or woman of your word. But it's their way of saying, well, if I say something extra other than I'll see you tomorrow too, then, then they'll really believe me. No, we need to let our yes be yes and our no's be no. Nehemiah was that way. I mean, if you recall, when Nehemiah left King Artaxerxes, he, he told him. He said, I'll be back. He was a man of his word. Chapter 2, verse 6 says this, Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. He said, I'm going to be gone this long, I'm going to be back at this time. Then in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 14, we read, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. Then verse 6 of chapter 13, Nehemiah says, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. You see, Nehemiah was a man of his word. He returned just as he said he would. But, the people were left in Jerusalem. They made that vow in chapter 10. And Nehemiah thought, okay, all is good. I'm going back, you know, but we'll see. They weren't men or the women of the word. Now, look now at chapter 13. Now, at least at this point, the first three verses, they're still being obedient to the word. Look at verses 1 through 3. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So they're gathering together, which is good. They're opening up God's word. They're reading. They remember the, the story about, about the, the Moabites and, and, and Ammonites and, and when uh, they were looking, the, the children of Israel were wandering and they were looking for help and they wouldn't give them the help and, and remembered, you know, how Balaam hired to curse, to curse them and, and, uh, and they're going, you know, we were not supposed to let them be a part of the congregation. They realized from looking to God's word that they were blowing it, so they stopped right away and they sent them away. They separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. But it wasn't that easy because the mixed, uh, mo- the, this mixed multitude has been going on for a while. Look at verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of the God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priest. Do you see this, this path of compromise going here? We see Eliashib, Eliashib the priest, aligning with Tobiah. Tobiah was an Ammonite. And if you remember, Tobiah was a bitter enemy to Nehemiah and, and the work going on. And he'd been opposing him all along the way. But now he's living in the penthouse suite in, in God's house. What's up with that? I mean, here was the very man that Nehemiah said had no place in Jerusalem. Uh, and on top of all that, we'll read next that there, there are all sorts of business taking place on the Sabbath. Uh, we're going to read in, in a few moments that the, the, one of the sons of the priest had married the daughter of Sambalot, the other enemy of Nehemiah. 
Things are looking really pretty bleak. But God, man of the hour, comes to the rescue. And this really reminds me of, of a, you know, my kids when they were young, and maybe I hear them arguing downstairs in the basement. I'd say, don't make me come down there. Maybe you've used that before. Don't make me come in there. This is kind of like what Nehemiah is going to do here in just a moment. Uh, look at verse 6. It says, but during all this, he says, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I returned to the king. So, hey, I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of all this that was going on. He says, then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Busted. Man, they're in trouble now. Nehemiah says, man, I, I was away for a while. Now I've come to check out things, how things are going. Man, I come and I checked it out. And man, this is what I found. Verse 8. And it grieved me bitterly. It made me sick. Verse 8. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also realized that the portions of, for the Levites had not been given them. Reached of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. <laughs> Man, he's cleaning house. Nehemiah knew, hey, this is wrong. We're not going to compromise with Tobiah. We're not going to talk to him about this situation. We're not going to try and control him. We're kicking him out. We're cleaning him out. Man, get him out of here. Furniture and all. I love this. Listen, in the same way, we're not to try to win victory over sin. We're not to try to compromise with sin. But as Ephesians 4.22 says, we simply cast it off. We throw it away. Paul writes that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put off. Cast it off. Maybe there's some furniture that needs to be thrown out. Maybe there's some things in your life that's cluttering up the temple of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes so often people have little room for the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit because they've allowed so many other things to clutter up their lives and crowd their lives that need to be thrown out. Is there something maybe Jesus wants to throw out of your life if he came to you now and, and said, okay, time for a house cleaning. Maybe some TV shows you shouldn't be watching. Maybe certain music you shouldn't be listening to. Maybe some alcohol in the cupboard you shouldn't be having. Think about the thoughts that invade the temple of our body that, that only God sees. Maybe there's something there that God wants to deal with. See, if we mean business with God, but we don't need to be making vows. We need to live the life. You know, live for, for the Lord. We need to examine every part of our lives and throw out what the enemy wants to clutter our lives with. Not necessarily sins. Hebrews 12.1 says, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with uh, endurance the race that is set before us. Maybe some weight, some things that are slowing you down in, in your walk with the Lord. Let's lay that aside. So Nehemiah's cleaning house. Verse 12 we read, then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oils to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouse Shelemiah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and the Levites, Pediah. And the next him was Hanan, the son of Zechur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. And I like that. 
You know, he says, okay, I need to find faithful men here. Because these guys, before men, they were not being faithful. These guys are considered faithful. Let's bring these guys back in. Then he prays. Look at verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. I mean, you know, Nehemiah is going, you know, we just built, we built the wall. We cleaned this all up. We got everything in place. We've got a dedication service. Now we've come back. Lord, don't destroy it all, you know, you know, because of, of what's been going on here. You see, after dealing with the compromise and negligence of the people, Nehemiah is praying. Now you think, well, shouldn't you know, Nehemiah prayed first before he threw everything out? You know, yeah, we, are, we are to pray first, but there are certain situations that we need to deal with suddenly and decisively. You can pray on your way. You know, if your kid is about to run into the street, you go grab your kid. You don't kneel down and pray, Lord, just protect my kid as they run into the street. And then, and Lord, uh, you know, make sure he doesn't get hit. No, you go, you get the kid, <laughs> bring him back, then you pray. Nehemiah saw the danger. He saw the mess. He knew immediately what he had to do. Throw out the compromise, act decisively, and then he prayed. See, he's taking the sins of the people very seriously. And he understood that God's purposes depended upon a holy people, and God would have that at any cost. And, 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 and that, now that wasn't all that had to be cleaned out. The next was that they were not honoring the Sabbath. Look at verse 15. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and loading donkeys with wine, and grapes, and figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day in which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do this and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. He's going, Hey, don't you remember, this is what God has led into captivity in the first place. And there you're doing it all over again. But notice, he doesn't just point out their sin. He makes changes. Look at verse 19. So it was, at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be open till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. I love that. I will take care of you. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. I love that he confronted them with their sin, but then he made the plan on how to deal with the sin, and then he warned those who would seek to bring them back into sin to stay away. And that's the way to deal with sin in our own lives. Then once again, Nehemiah prayed. He cried out for mercy because he knew that they deserved judgment. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. 
He recognized the sin. We recognize the sin in our lives. We see what God's word says, how to deal with that sin. And then we make the plan not to sin that way again, not to go around. Because if you don't do that, then what ends up is you, you, you fall to sin. Then you, you repent of that sin. Then you come back around and you sin again. And you go back around and around. It's just this vicious cycle that you get into. But as we, we recognize our sin, we see to God's word what it says our sin is, then we look to God's word on how to deal with that sin. You break that cycle and you move on. Finally, there's one more area that needed to be dealt with. Mixed marriages. Look at verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of jo- Joida, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalot the Hornite. Therefore, I drove him from me. Well, again, he's cleaning the house. Finds out that there's the, the, these Jews who married women from these heathen nations. Verse 25, Nehemiah contended with them, cursed them, struck certain of them and plucked off their hair. I mean, he's dealing with this. So Nehemiah, how do you really feel about this? And when it says that, that he cursed them, it doesn't mean that he's swearing up and down, you know, cursing upon you know, like that. It means he pronounced a curse upon them. He made them swear that they would not continue to intermarry with foreigners or else. He was using extreme measures because extreme measures were needed. See, the same sins that came in and compromised the Jews in Nehemiah's time, it can affect us the same way. You know, not honoring the Lord, you know, not being in fellowship, not being in church, and setting aside a day to, 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 to set aside for the Lord. You know, it, it, it's allowing sin into our lives, you know, the, to buy to come in, the things in our life to distract us. It, 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 it's relationships, getting involved with someone who's not a believer. And that's always a problem. Think how many, you know, men and women have, have entered into a relationship and said, oh, you know, I'll win them to the Lord, you know, after we're married. But it never works that way. Almost always, almost always ends with disaster. John Corson writes, when you marry someone who doesn't love the Lord, at least as much as you do, your kids will speak a language that would ultimately grieve you. One day, the way they think will break your heart. So God's word teaches not to be unequally yoked with non-believers. Better to break off the relationship before marriage than for it to end in disaster. Now, notice Nehemiah's last words here, his prayer in verses 29 through 31. He prays, Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits as appointed time to remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah, he took serious the sins of the people. He understood that God's purposes depended upon a holy people, and God would have that at any cost. And God used Nehemiah 
mightily. You know, Scripture teaches us in, in 2 Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for people like Nehemiah, man, woman whose life is right with him so that he might reach the world. And God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still looking for those that, that he can use to reach the world, those who are not living compromised life with sin. You know, I, I love this. In Nehemiah, we also see a picture of Christ. And you may not have seen this before. Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. He understood what he needed to do. Jesus came over 2,000 years ago to Jerusalem and understood the purposes of his Father. He understood what he needed to do. He understood the, the, the failures of sinful man. And just as promises were made with Nehemiah and how men would fill, fill the Old Testament with broken promises, Jesus Christ came so that New Testament would be filled with promises that God would keep. Nehemiah sought to bring God's people back into a right relationship with him, a people in whom God could show his love and grace and mercy through Jesus came and gave us his people, his Holy Spirit, so that we might show the world God's love and grace and mercy. And just as Nehemiah went away for a while and came back, so Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us so that we where he is, we may be also. I see the picture of Nehemiah and Jesus. So as we close out Nehemiah, again, if we mean business for God, that we don't need to be making vows. We need to just be living the life. It's always a blessing when we obey God to refuse to compromise, even if it means taking serious measures like me and I did. I don't you know, advocate pulling someone's hair out, okay? But, but taking sin seriously. Because God wants to use us as channels of His love and His grace. And if we're living compromised lives, lives that are filled with clutter from this world, then our lives are going to be miserable. But when we're sold out completely to Him, always making sure we're true to His Word, then God's going to bless and He'll use us mightily. Nehemiah understood God's purpose for His people. He saw that it was God's intention to reach a multitude through a few. And God did a great work through His servant Nehemiah. I look at Nehemiah, I see a man that was faithful to the very end. And of course, that's what counts. Not how I begin, but how I end. Which reminds me of Ephesians 6.13. We'll close with this, which says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. To be able to say at the end of our lives, Lord, I have done all to stand. That's what counts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Nehemiah. Lord, we thank you for what you accomplished through his life, Lord. We thank you, Father, that revival can come even in our own country, Lord. It can come in our own lives, Lord, as we put you first, as we seek to look to your word and to obey your word. And we've seen that throughout this book of Nehemiah, Lord. Revival has taken place. We've seen the humility, the 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 dressing in sackcloth and, 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 and ashes and, and just falling on their knees in humility and repentance. We see the times of rejoicing, Lord, over what you have done. Father, we've also seen the vows that were made and, and the commitments that were made, and we see them fall to that. Lord, help us not to, to fall and, and to, to the vows that we have made, Lord. Help us to be men and women that, that live for you each and every day, Lord. And when we do blow it and when we do sin, Lord, help us to quickly come and confess it to you, Lord, and be made right with you. Thank you for this time tonight, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Pray your blessing now upon us as we go our way, Lord. Pray that you'd bless uh, 
just the, the hustle and the bustle before Christmas time, Lord, help us to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's your son, Jesus Christ, come into this world to save us, Lord. Help us to, to, to share that message, that message of Christmas, Lord. And so we thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand with